This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for August 2018. Let's first look at what we can see with our eyes looking up at the heavens. As it gets darker, setting towards the west is the bright star Arcturus in Bootes. And then... To the south and fairly high up, we have that lovely region of the sky with the constellations Aquila, Lyra and Cygnus. Their bright stars Altair, Vega and Deneb make up what is called the Summer Triangle. And one quick thing, if you start from Altair, that's the lowest of the three, and work about a third of the way up towards Vega up on the right, There's actually a dark part of the Milky Way called the Cygnus Rift, and in there you might just spot an upside-down coat hanger. It's actually Brocky's Cluster, but normally called the Coat Hanger. Down to the left of the Summer Triangle is a rather sweet little constellation called Delphinus the Dolphin. that looks actually quite nice. Moving over towards the left, the Square of Pegasus is rising. The very first planet discovered beyond our own solar system was around the star 51 Pegasi, which you can just make out, actually, with binoculars down on the right-hand side of the square of Pegasus. And then if we start at the top left-hand star of the square, Alpha Rats, we're actually into Andromeda. If you move one bright star to the left, fork round a bit to the right and up again to the next bright star, there turn through 90 degrees, passing another star, and the same distance again, you come to the great nebula in Andromeda, M31, which on a really dark night, with no moon, you can see with your unaided eye. But it shows up well in binoculars, and obviously very well indeed in, in telescopes. High above Andromeda, we have Cassiopeia, the W-shaped constellation and over to its left in the north east is rising the constellation of Perseus and I mention that because it's between those two that we have the radiant of the Perseid meteor shower that I'll talk about a bit later. Well what about the planets? Well Jupiter can be seen in the southwest soon after sunset at the start of the month. It shines at magnitude minus 2.1 falling to minus 1.9 during the month, has a disk some 38 arc seconds, again falling to 35 arc seconds across. Its equatorial bands, sometimes the great red spot, and up to four of its Galilean moons will be visible in a small telescope. Sadly, now moving slowly eastwards in Libra, Jupiter is heading towards the southern part of the ecliptic and will only have an elevation of 15 degrees after sunset. Atmospheric dispersion will thus hinder our view. It might be worth considering purchasing an atmospheric dispersion corrector to counteract its effects. Well, Saturn. Now, Saturn was in opposition on the 27th of June. So it'll be visible in the south at an elevation of about 15 degrees after sunset at the beginning of August. Its disk has an angular size of 18 arc seconds, falling to 17 during the month as the brightness reduces from plus 0.2 to plus 0.4 magnitudes. 
the rings are still at about 26 degrees to the line of sight, so well open and spanning some 2.5 times the size of Saturn's globe. Again, Saturn, lying in Sagittarius, not far from the topmost star of the teapot, is slowly moving in retrograde motion to within a few degrees of M8, the Lagoon Nebula, and M20, the Triffid Nebula. As a low elevation that we find it, again, the atmosphere will affect our view. Now, Mercury, having passed between the Earth and the Sun, that's called inferior conjunction on August the 9th, becomes visible after the 20th before reaching greatest elongation east of the Sun on August the 26th. Then, some 18 degrees from the Sun in angle, it rises before 5 a.m., shining at magnitude zero. Well, Mars, I guess, should be the highlight of this month, is now moving in retrograde motion westwards in Capricornus. It made its closest approach to Earth since 2003 on the night of July the 30th, 31st. It actually moves into Sagittarius on the 23rd of August. It begins the month rising just after sunset, shining at its peak magnitude of minus 2.8. This falls to minus 2.2 by month's end. Its angular size exceeds 24 arc seconds until August the 8th, but falls to about 21 arc seconds at the start of September. With a small telescope, it should, but more of that, be able to spot details such as Certis Major on its salmon pink surface. From the UK, it will only reach an elevation of about 14 degrees when due south. So again, as for Jupiter and Saturn, the atmosphere will hinder our view. Now, as I write this, and more a bit later, a dust storm obscures much of the surface. So let's hope it clears during August. Venus. Well, Venus can be seen low in the west after nightfall, sinking towards the horizon as the month progresses. During August, its illuminated phase thins from about 57% to about 30%. But at the same time, the angular size of the diameter increases from 20 to 29 arc seconds. The surface area reflecting the sun's light actually increases, and so the brightness increases from minus 4.3 magnitudes to an outstanding minus 4.6 magnitudes. Venus moves towards Spica in Virgo as August progresses and ends the month just one degree below the star. Sadly, however, they are then only about 10 degrees above the western horizon after sunset. You might need binoculars to pick them out, but please do not use them until the sun has set. Finally, what about some highlights? And we do have some this month. Well, obviously, the first one I should talk about is Mars. As I said, it claimed to its closest opposition to Earth since 2003 on the 27th of July. But sadly, two things are conspiring to limit our views. From the UK, its maximum elevation when on the meridian will only be about 12 degrees when observed from a latitude of plus 52 so the atmosphere will not help. The second problem, as you may have learnt, is that as sometimes happens, 
Mars is now suffering a major dust storm, which at the end of July was making it very difficult to observe any features on the surface. These can happen every six to eight years and can last for several months. A small-scale dust storm began on May the 30th, and by the 20th of June had engulfed the whole planet. Sadly, it could take as long as September for the dust to settle, thus greatly inhibiting our view of Mars, this apparition. However, it does look as though the south polar cap is still visible. Let's just hope that the dust storm subsides in time for other details on the surface, such as Sirtis Major and the Hellas Basin, to become visible in small telescopes. On the night of August 11th, 12th, these should be facing the Earth. And I should point out, there's a superb program called WINJUPOS, W-I-N-J-U-P-O-S, that you can download for free and will give a view of Mars' surface at any time showing what features should be visible. And on the night sky page, just search Bank Night Sky, the screenshot I've included shows what, what might be visible on that particular night and also some of the things you have to click to get the picture of Mars on your screen. Well, Saturn is perhaps a little bit past its best. It reached opposition at the end of June, so it's now low as an elevation, sadly, of only about 14 degrees in the west-southwest as darkness falls, lying above the teapot of Sagittarius. Held steady, binoculars should enable you to see Saturn's brightest moon, Titan, at magnitude 8.2. A small telescope will show the rings with magnifications of times 24, and one of 6 to 8 inches aperture, with a magnification of about times 200, coupled with some good seeing, will show Saturn and its beautiful ring system in their full glory. On the night sky page, I include a chart to help you find two nice objects in the sky visible at this time of year, the globular cluster M13 in Hercules and the double-double star in Lyra. It's just left to the star Vega and the multiple star system Epsilon Lyrae, as I said, is often called the double-double. With binoculars, a binary star is seen, but when observed with a telescope, each of these two stars is revealed to be a double star. Hence its name. August is also a good month to observe Neptune. It comes into opposition on the 7th of September, so it's going to be well placed both this month and next. Its magnitude is plus 7.9. So Neptune, with a disk just 3.7 arc seconds across, is easily spotted in binoculars, lying in the constellation Aquarius to the left of Lambda Aquarius, as shown on the chart on the night sky page. It rises to an elevation of 27 degrees when due south. That's a bit better, isn't it? And given a telescope of 8 inches or more aperture and a dark, transparent night, one should even be able to spot the moon Triton. Of course, one of the highlights of August is the Perseid meteor shower, which peaks on the mornings of the 12th and 13th of August. So two very good mornings to observe it. The Perseid meteor shower... The meteors are produced by the debris from the comet Swift-Tuttle, and perhaps the early morning of the 12th will give us the best chance, if clear of viewing the shower. 
but the peak is actually quite broad and it's well worth observing on the nights before and after. And post midnight is the best time as then Perseus has risen higher in the sky. Most meteors are seen looking around 50 degrees from the radiant which lies between Perseus and Cassiopeia. And the great thing is that this year it is just after new moon. That's on the 11th of the month. So moonlight will not hinder our view. Do get to a dark sky location as best you can, at the very least south of a town or city where you might live. I found a very good dark sky map on the web and on the night sky page, I give the link. And that will give you a pretty good idea of which direction you might go to from where you lived to get the darkest possible skies. And finally, two quick ones. On August the 14th, Venus lies just below a thin crescent moon. And on the 31st, it is just below Spica, Alpha Virginis. So soon after sunset and looking very low in the west-southwest, you might be able to spot Venus just one degree below Spica. Again, you might need to use binoculars. That actually helps lessen the light remaining in the sky, but not the light from either Venus or Spica. But please, of course, do not use binoculars until after the sun has set. Well, quite a lot to look for. Slightly longer nights to do it in. Have fun. Thanks for that, Ian. Next up, we're going to head down south to look at the Southern Hemisphere night sky with Gabby. Kia ora everyone, Gabriela Perry is here from Space Place at the Carter Observatory and we're looking up at our skies in the month of August. The worst of winter is now behind us and our nights are getting shorter, but we still have plenty of long nights to look up at the stars. There are some spectacular sights in our skies this month. We have four visible planets in our skies in the early evening, so bright that they are outshining the surrounding stars as they become the focus point scattered across our skies in the arc of the ecliptic backdrop by the zodiac constellation. Our evening star in the northwest is the brilliant planet Venus. Because of its thick atmosphere, it reflects a lot of light from the sun. It shines up so brightly that you'd even see it in the sky before the sun sets. Now high up in the north, we'll see Jupiter looking stunning and golden, and following it is Saturn, followed by Mars. So Mars is currently rivaling Venus in its intensity in the east, looking particularly bright and red. It is quite close to the Earth, as it was in opposition at the end of July, and in the beginning of August, it will continue to be the closest it's been to Earth since 2003, a mere 58 million kilometres from us. The most familiar of the constellations in our sky um, will be our winter constellation, Scorpius, with its hooked tail and bleeding heart, Antares. Antares and the tail will make the fishhook of Maui in Maori star law. So Antares becomes the bloody bait on the hook. Antares is a red giant star about 600 light years away. Scorpius is also home to some deep space objects and were among the first to be catalogued by Charles Messier. That includes M4, M6, also known as the Butterfly Cluster, M7 and M80. Below or to the right of the scorpion's tail is what we call the teapot, made up of some of the brightest stars in the constellation of Sagittarius. It's upside down here in the southern hemisphere, and a Saturn can be found near the teapot's lid. Now between Scorpius and Sagittarius, we find the heart of our Milky Way, 
in the bulge, an area designated as Sagittarius A, and it's believed to be the location of a supermassive black hole in the center of our home galaxy, and it's helping hold everything together. Uh, the best viewing time for deep sky objects will be mid-month, as we um, will have a new moon on the 11th, and the full moon will be on the 26th of August. Mid-month will also be the best time to look in the south. Um, so high up in the southwest, we'll have the Crux constellation, or the Southern Cross, and we can find this using the pointer stars, Alpha and Beta Centauri, the brightest stars in the constellation of Centaurus. And on a dark, moonless night, away from the city lights, you might spot a dark patch nearby the Crux by the second brightest star called Beta Cruxus. And this is what we call the Colsac Nebula, a very famous dark nebula that's only visible because of all the the starlight, the concentration of starlight we get along the edgewise view of the Milky Way. Uh, dark nebulae block up light from faraway stars as they are densely packed pillars of frozen dust and gas. Colsac nebula, much like coal itself, will ignite one day in about three or four million years and become one of the brightest patches in the sky. The Colsac nebula is sometimes known as the head of the moa here in New Zealand. Moa was a large, flightless, and unfortunately now extinct bird that dominated the lands here in New Zealand and now is commemorated in our night sky. You can track its body and the long neck, body, and feet formed by the other dark nebulas that you can make up across the stretch of the Milky Way in our skies. On the other side of the south skies is a fainter constellation of Tucana, named after the South American bird the Tucan and it's home to a large globular cluster, 47 Tucane, which is quite beautiful to look at through a telescope, and it's close by to a bright star named Achenar. Achenar is quite an interesting star. It's a bit of a pancake star, because it's spinning around so fast in its own axis that it's kind of flattened itself a little bit. You can find Achenar at the end of the River of Stars, the constellation of Eridanus. In this area of the sky, you can also see two small kind of patches in the sky, and these are actually two irregular dwarf galaxies um, that orbit around our Milky Way. They are the Magellanic Clouds. And between them is actually a lesser-known constellation named Mensa, which is Latin for table. And this is one of my favorite because it's named after Table Mountain in Cape Town, South Africa. Even though I live in New Zealand, I was actually born and grew up in South Africa. So this is a nice little constellation if you can pick it out. And if you're awake in the early morning, you can catch a glimpse of some of our dawn skies. We'll have Orion and Taurus in the east. Um, last month, these were telling the tale of Matariki, the Māori New Year. Um, there are some great views of the pot within Orion. It's a small little asterism, the base of the pot formed by Orion's belt, and with three faintest stars that form the handle. The middle of these is, in fact, the Great Orion Nebula, the diffuse nebula, and one of the closest stellar nurseries we have to us here on Earth. So here astronomers have witnessed the birth of stars and protoplanetary disks, um, which are the disks that surround uh, young stars and which planets were formed observing this nebula. Well, um, that's all from me here in Wellington, New Zealand, and I wish everyone clear skies during the month of August.